Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for joining the Digital Selling Secrets podcast. On this podcast, we talk about leadership, sales, and digital transformation. And on today's podcast, we have a very special guest, Karen Howe, which is an, she is an expert on artificial intelligence. And of course, we have our co-host, Jerry Manicrote. Um, Karen, first off, thanks for joining us today on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. All right, Karen, thank you so much uh, for joining us. We really appreciate it. And uh, uh, Gary also just mentioned a little bit about you and your um, your uh, expertise on AI, but could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So I am the um, Senior Artificial Intelligence Reporter at MIT Technology Review, and I um, spend my days um, basically covering the AI research field, um, so understanding what are the current th current cutting edge techniques that are being developed? How is that then translating from academia or from research labs into commercial applications? And ultimately how that impacts our lives. So um, it's a very exciting and um, overwhelming job. <laughs> um, and it's, it, it, it's, I love it because it gives me kind of a front row seat and a bird's eye view to everything that's happening in the AI world. It sounds so cool. With, uh be able to see that see the things at that stage and moving into moving into the commercial side so do you see a lot of these prototypes and and uh, research or do you see that transitional phase as it's i so at tech review our focus is primarily on emerging technology which means that we end up focusing a lot more on the research side of the pipeline um so what i'm usually doing is reading research papers that are not even peer-reviewed yet like they're preprints that have just gone online and are the very latest ideas of what people are thinking about in the field um, and then I'm sort of tracking the different trends that crop up like um, you sort of see waves of ideas that will come through in the field with people one day being obsessed with this technique and then the next month they're obsessed with this technique so I'm really at kind of round zero for um, the technology the development of the technology that's very interesting what you just said because you know um now because of all the days kind of mushed together because of COVID. But um, I think it was last year or maybe the year before, there was a lot of talk of IoT, the internet of things. Mm -hmm. So from your standpoint, when did that wave actually come in? Where, where, where for us as public, that's when we everybody was talking about it. But from your standpoint, where did that actually come in? I actually, I have no idea. Um, I actually have not been covering the AI space for that long. I've only been tracking it for about two years. So probably happened way earlier than, than the two years when I've been on the scene. Um, the, the techniques that I'm usually tracking, in terms of like the granularity um, that I'm tracking, it's like, um, so if AI is like the umbrella field, there's a sub, part of that field as specifically machine learning. And within machine learning, there's like some part that's deep learning, that's machine learning conducted with um, software called deep neural networks. And within that, there's then subfields like um, supervised deep learning or deep reinforcement learning or um, unsupervised deep learning. And that's the granularity that I'm tracking is like, wow. what are all of these different um, new, new algorithms that are being developed to um, perform perf to, to replicate human intelligence, essentially. Like, what, what are the ways that um, computer scientists are hypothesizing how to translate what we can do in our brains to a machine? 
So Karen, quick, quick question. So there, there's, from what I've seen, and I'm a, you know, I'm definitely not an expert or anywhere close to your, your knowledge around the subject. Um, so on one, and it, you see the sci-fi movies, right? Where, yeah. you know, it's basically a human being. And then the other end of the spectrum, you have people saying AI, it's not even the intelligence of a three-year-old and it's a long way off. I mean, where would you say AI fits now and in the near future? Yeah, well, I think one of the things that's confusing about AI is that there are kind of two working definitions that are commonly tossed around. So um, one, one definition is sort of the vision of the field. Um, one thing that, that's actually kind of confusing, that confused me when I first started tracking this too, is people use AI as an entity, like an artificially intelligent being, but it actually refers to a field like mathematics. So when you say like, and AI is doing something that's actually an incorrect use of the term um, because you can't say like a math did something. So the same way that you would use the word math is the same way you would use the word AI. Um, so, there, so there's like the concept of AI that is the aspiration of the field, which is um, it, it, like the field was founded in the 1960s as this vision to recreate intelligence in um, computer systems. So what, what is it in our brains that allow us to process information and understand the world and navigate the world, make decisions with new information? Um, and then how can we actually just use lines of code to represent that? Um, and that's more or less kind of the, the science fiction that you see um, with Westworld and, and um, Janet in The Good Place or whatever. They're like the hyper-intelligent beings that um, have access to infinite knowledge and can process things super quickly and um, are more or less like like a human but but like enhanced versions of humans and and that's that's kind of gets to what the field was founded to try and achieve um, and then there's AI that's the concept of what exists today which is um, some people call it narrow intelligence uh, sorry narrow um, artificial intelligence and that is the techniques that have just barely begun to replicate some of the things that we would consider intelligent behavior um, so machine learning the subfield of AI that's particularly popular now is really good at pattern matching and then using those patterns to make decisions so if you're thinking about um, a computer uh, vision system that's recognized or like a face recognition system that's recognizing faces it um, can do that because it's really good at finding like the pixels that represent faces in millions and millions of images and then using that template to then like identify other faces and other images. Um, but like that pattern, pattern recognition um, is only one tiny facet of what we are able to do as intelligent beings. So um, I guess to, that was a very long way of answering your question, which is that currently we are nowhere near this vision of the field um, in that a lot of the narrow AI systems we have barely even replicate the intelligence of a three-year-old, but um, in the particular slivers of intelligence that AI is able to kind of mimic, um, it, it has already achieved superhuman levels in those ways. So it, it, it's hopefully that wasn't too complicated of an answer. Oh, the umbrella, and then you started cascading downwards. I got lost uh, after the umbrella, but uh, 
it's very fascinating what you're what you're uh, explaining here. That you know, for us, I'm in healthcare, so I don't look at that side at all. And for me to realize that there are completely different facets of of artificial intel intelligence, it's it's absolutely fascinating to hear that. It it is it is and. And I, I just want to give you guys a heads up right now. Um, the internet is somewhat unstable. I, I guess everybody's on the internet because of this COVID-19 situation. But um, I, I heard at the end of what what, uh, what Karen was saying, um, basically there the elements that are within, and, and I'm paraphrasing, and it's I'm, this is layman terms here. Um, the elements of artificial intelligence that are in place are very sophisticated, but they're they're growing. Um, well, is, is that is that what you said at the end there? We kind of broke up at the very end there, Karen. Yeah, yeah. Essentially, that um, the field is is just beginning to mimic some of the aspects of human intelligence, and that is continuing to develop. But um, in terms of actually mimicking like all of our int intelligent capabilities, it is it is very very far away from that. Could you, could you give an example now? You said in in the uh, in the narrow artificial intelligence there are little slivers where it barely goes to the intelligence of a three-year-old but you said there are certain aspects it's at a superhuman level could you give any examples of the superhuman level yeah sure so um you're in the field of healthcare, and i think that's one of the primary um exciting areas that ai is trying to um or, or that ai researchers try, are trying to apply the technology to so um, you may have seen headlines about how AI can now read CT scans and detect breast cancer or lung cancer or eye okay. diseases to, um, to the level or better than um, human radiologists. So that's an example of superhuman performance where this AI algorithm has successfully been able to do something better than the expert that was trained to do that particular thing. But that same algorithm can't do anything once the task changes. Right. Like it, you can't reapply it to, um, to, to, to like if it's if it's trying to detect breast cancer, you can't you can't it can't detect faces. Right. Um, and and Karen, it's based. Is it not based off the data that's been put in and like historical data? That's what determines its ability to predict or ability to analyze. Is that that right or no? Yeah. So it's it's a mix of it's a mix of three things. Um, it's the actual algorithm. So how how well did you design your computer code? Um, and there are many different types of algorithms that can that that sort of have the same goal. Like you can have many different algorithms that try to detect breast cancer in, in a CT scan. Um, and then it's the data, how, how high quality is the data that you are using to train the algorithm to recognize the breast cancer. And the last one is com computational resources. So how much, um, yeah, how, ma how many, how many, um, how powerful is your computer? Um, so all of those impact how good an AI system is at performing the tasks that um, you're training it to do. So how, how hard is it? So let's say, let's say it's me, right? For bad examples, right? And I wanted to learn pro, uh, Python, right? Python's a big AI programming language from what I hear. How long does it typically take or is it, how complicated is it to develop an AI algorithm versus some of the basic code you do when you first start out? So, yeah, so I mean, I think when any, in, in computer science, when like any field or thing becomes hot, there are a lot of tools that start 
merging that kind of make it significantly easier. So, so like the parallel is when um, web development first became a thing, like that started off with people having to write lines of code, but now you can just get Squarespace and, and like move around a couple widgets and develop a, a website. And the same thing is basically happening with AI. So before there, it was a lot more complicated to develop a model, but now there are all these tools like um, Google has a tool called AutoML, which stands for Auto Machine Learning, Automatic Machine Learning, where you literally just drop widgets onto a canvas and wire things up. And it's a completely like visual programming interface. And within a couple minutes, you have developed a machine learning model. That's amazing. So, yeah. Now, on that same topic, so obviously these different platforms are going to be emerging, right? That they're going to have their algorithms as part of that platform, which allows them to piece the puzzle together, if you will. Um, is there, isn't there the potential for that particular platform to not have the most sophisticated algorithm versus if let's say you became an expert in that field and developed it yourself from scratch, or, or maybe, maybe I'm, I'm out in left field right now. No, no, I think I understand your question, which is just like a lot of companies rely on out of the box solutions rather than in-house solutions. Um, and yeah, but this is this is like one of the challenges, I guess, um, when you're a company trying to deploy AI is you might not necessarily have the expertise in-house to develop a bespoke model. So then you just buy a product off the shelf and that product isn't always necessarily optimized to what you need. So in theory, if you developed a bespoke model, it would be a lot better at doing the task, but um, it's a trade-off between, you know, cost and time and all of these other things. So um, a lot of companies, I think, that deploy AI are doing the off-the-shelf approach. Um, and it, then there are, there are services as well that you can, you can consult, um, consulting services that help you, you know, modify the off-the-shelf products to better suit your needs and, and things like that. So the, the the people that are that do programming Python uh, Python's the the most common language right now for AR or in the future right is that is that what you're looking at or um, there are two um, there well there are two, there are two really popular they're called frameworks that are like development frameworks um, one is PyTorch that is based off of Python um, that was developed by Facebook. And the other one is TensorFlow. And I'm not actually sure um, what the language is, but it was developed by Google. And those are like the two biggest um, development kits, I suppose, that help you develop AI models. Okay, the, the platforms, if you will. Yeah. So th these programmers the, that understand AI, are those like the top 1% of programmers, or is that kind of just a common thing within the programming wor world to understand the algorithms associated with AI? I, I'm not sure where it's at now. I, mean, what I think that um, that's a good question. I'm, I'm not sure. Well, well, I guess the way I would answer that is um, I think AI is just a really hot field in computer science right now. And so a lot of people who study coding will also end up studying AI because it's one of the, the things that you can apply your coding skills to. And so more and more people who are on the path to just like learning how to code will end up finding themselves doing AI stuff. Mm -hmm. um, 
which wasn't necessarily the case before. So, so I guess to answer your question, I think there's a significant percentage of um, programmers that now know some basics around AI because it's part of their curriculum. Is, is there a thought leader they lean towards? Um, they're like, you know, I know programming and man, if I want to learn AI, I probably need to listen to this guru over here, this AI guru or. Yeah. Um, so the, the most common um, course that people take, I suppose, um, is Andrew Ang's um, introduction to machine learning on Coursera. It's like a free, um, I think it's an eight part series or something like that. That's, that's meant to help people who have some foundational programming skills to very rapidly get up to speed on some of the ways that you can develop your own machine learning models. Um, and Andrew himself, he, he, he um, co-founded Coursera. He's, he was also a professor at Stanford um, and he was an executive at Google and um, Baidu, which is like the Chinese um, Google equivalent. Um, and so he's, he's like one of the like hot shots in the industry that um, is really known for, for trying to advance um, AI education and to make this technology more um, democratic. So on the innovation side around AI, is that kind of what you're involved with more on the innovation? Like, you know, the framework, you know, all the elements that make, make it up, but is it you and your team or some other team that looks at this and sa- and has that aha moment to, to keep moving it forward within development and coming up with new ideas and, and actual innovation around AI that's, or is that, you know, is maybe Andrew Ang, maybe he's the, he's the guy that's involved in that. What, what are your thoughts on the innovation side? Um, well, the, the innovation is, there are like different categories, I, I guess, of innovation, like the, on the, on the deep research side, what people are innovating on is better algorithms. Um, and yeah, basically like that is, or I guess better algorithms and better hardware. So as I mentioned, there's like three pillars that make an AI system good it's like good data good algorithms good chips or like good a lot of computational resources um so a a lot of the innovation happens around the algorithms and the hardware um there is also some innovation that happens around data like there are many people who will then write research papers curating data sets that are high quality um but i think the the like meat of the field is trying to advance algorithms that are better at detecting breast cancer in a CT scan are better at detecting um, what you're saying, like a speech recognition algorithm. Um, Then there's also innovation on the application side, which is once algorithms have become a bit more mature and they're ready for commercial deployments, it's like what, um, how do you actually in a, how do you actually translate that the work in a lab into into the real world? Because that 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 in and of itself is also a challenging problem. You can have perfect lab conditions, but it's not gonna it's not gonna result in a really good real world um, AI system. So I think those are like the two main categories of innovation that people push push forward. When you say hardware, does that mean you can't do AI on a laptop? You have to get something spe- some special device to develop AI on? Is that what that means, or? No, so actually you can do AI on a laptop. Um, what I'm talking about is like the computer chips in your laptop. So um, back then <laughs> we only had um, CPUs or um, 
I, I don't even remember what CPU stands for, um, core, core processing unit. And um, now we have GPUs, graphical processing units. And those are chips that are, um, they're just, there's more, they're denser. There's like, they have um, more horsepower behind it. So um, it's able to do a lot more computation in a short amount of time. And AI is, really rides on that ability, the ability to do lots of computation in a short amount of time. So before when we had core processing units, um, you couldn't really do AI very well on a laptop, but now almost every laptop has a graphical processing unit, which is like the same chip that allows video gamers to have like high res on their, on their um, screens. That is enough to actually do AI research now. Um, but like if you're going pro and like trying to do a much more advanced AI research, you can't just be doing it on your laptop. You start talking about like giant supercomputers that are just racks and racks of these like really advanced, um, highly computationally intensive chips that are all putting, you know, a pedal to the metal to try and get um, an AI model trained. Oh, wow. Huh. That's, that's really interesting. So if you want to go pro and really develop a sophisticated AI model, you, you, you have to have access to some of these uh, supercomputers is what you're saying. Yeah, pretty much. Like, I mean, you, you don't, you don't have to, but um, one of the trends that we are seeing in the field is um, in order to really develop some of the more um, interesting or stunning um, AI systems, you do need those kind of resources. And that's also part of the reason why large companies are often like Google, Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft are the ones that actually um, push AI research forward because they're, they're the few institutions that have these like giant um, resources behind them to do that kind of work. Amazing. Well, Karen, I know uh, we're running short on time here. Uh, if somebody wants to reach out to you, and uh, get in touch with you. Do, do you recommend a, a website or email address, or, or, or maybe you don't want to hear from anyone and you're focused on your research? Uh, any, any thoughts on that? Um, so I, you can follow me on Twitter. Um, my handle is underscore Karen Howe, and um, I also have a newsletter that I write every week called The Algorithm. So if you just Google The Algorithm Karen Howe, it, it should it should pop up. I think I have good SEO, so awesome. Feel free to reach out to me there. I would definitely check that out. Jerry, anything you want to add before we close out? No, I just want to say thank you so much, Karen, for joining us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yes. Thanks again, Karen. And for those of you all that have been tuning in, uh, uh, stay tuned for more episodes of the Digital Selling Secrets podcast.